In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. Hi everyone and welcome to Trauma-Informed Support. I'm your host, Dr Kay Eyre. In this episode, we interview filmmaker and activist, James Redford. James Redford is a world-renowned filmmaker with several documentaries and feature filmmaking credits to his name. James turned his storytelling eye on the hidden menace of adverse childhood experiences in his groundbreaking documentary, Paper Tigers. Set within and around the campus of Lincoln Alternative High School in the rural community of Walla Walla in Washington, Paper Tigers attempts to answer the following questions. What does it mean to be a trauma-informed school? And how do you educate teens whose childhood experience have left them with a brain and body ill-suited to learning? In his search for clear and honest answers based in science, James embarked on his latest film, Resilience, The Biology of Stress and the Science of Hope. In Resilience, we learn about how traumatic stress can trigger hormones that wreak havoc with the bodies and brains of children, putting them at a great risk for disease, homelessness, prison time, and even early death. It also chronicles the dawn of a movement that is determined to fight back. Pediatricians, psychologists, and educators using cutting-edge science and field-tested therapies to protect children from the dark legacy of abuse and neglect that no child would choose. James is interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Gavin Krishnamurthy. I hope you find this interview interesting and useful. James, thank you for speaking with me today. An honour. Um, so thank you for making um, Paper Tigers and Resilience um, for people who haven't watched it, would highly recommend it. They're excellent films. I was wondering if you could speak to what you find most surprising about making the films. Hmm. Well, I, I think uh, probably just the response to the films themselves. Uh, you know, you, you, our feeling was that this was... Um, really important information to get out there, that it, the research that proves that toxic stress uh, can, can really interfere with the way develop both neurologically and physically. Um, it's been around for almost 20 years now, and um, the proof, and the good, science, good hard science, um, but we're just not adopting that into how we think about how to help kids that have been in really stressful childhoods. And so, you know, since it was so virtually unknown, I just did, I thought our, the heavy work was going to be getting people to believe it or, uh, you know, going to have to really try and figure out how to get people to accept a new idea. But I think, um, you know, by the time the movies came out, I think people were just ready for whatever reasons. I mean, there's a longstanding um, sort of uh, observation among a lot of people who work at the, at the crossroads of science and, uh, and best actions that it takes 15 to 20 years from for groundbreaking research to work its way down into implementation. So 
but you know, you go around to these screenings, and you know, the statistics are that um, you know a sizable portion of people have had really difficult childhoods, and the the more difficult those childhoods are, the more there is abuse, neglect, um, and uh, you know, difficult, uh, dangerous environments at the home. The, the more problems it creates then and, and later in life. Um, just the amount of people that show up that want to know that have reached out that you know when we started out with these films we thought we might have you know i don't know 20 40 screenings in the u.s weren't sure what would happen outside of that we we're approaching nearly a thousand screenings right now around the world and um the sales have been off the charts and i don't really say that to brag i just I, it shocked us all and i i think it's a great indication that of how real the science is and how many people struggle um with these issues and don't want to talk about it or happen. And this is uh, clearly hitting a chord. Yeah, that's quite an interesting story. I know um, when Kay and I started working together, we'd often go to schools and talk about trauma and we'd have people who are there, which who we thought we were trying to convince of it. <laughs> and so when we started this project, we thought, well, why don't we have the people who are interested come to us? Um, and we, we, we were just like you, we thought we'd have a handful of people who would probably come, but there's so much interest in it, isn't there? What is your sense of that? I mean, people have their own personal histories of it that attracts them to it. Was there something else that do you think uh, attracts people to this area? Well, I, I think I think probably one of the most surprising things to me is that, you know, the, the original research that, that really was the bedrock of this idea was done by two two doctors, one with the Center for Disease Control here in the States and the other one, um, a, a physician in the state of California, and they looked at about 30,000 health records um, for patients inside the Kaiser Permanente Health System. Now, these folks are, um, they're largely affluent, largely educated largely sort of, you know, white, upper, upper middle to upper class. Uh, and the prevalence of these toxic experiences and linkages to poor outcomes later in life among this population was, um, you know, really, uh, that was sort of the biggest surprise because there's this myth that if you grow up behind the white picket fence and there's a car in the driveway and a dog in the yard, that there can't possibly be anything going wrong in that home uh, or in those people's lives. And if they are going wrong, then, then you should be ashamed to not talk about it. And so I think, you know, that aspect of things, um, you know, is, is really interesting. And I've certainly seen that just personally in my own life. I mean, not necessarily my own personal experience, but just, you know, been surprised by, um, you know, the prevalence of these experiences among people who just don't think would be up against that. So you look at that and you say, well, now let's throw a little poverty into that. Now let's throw a little... Uh, institutionalized racism, historical racism in our country. Let's throw all that into the midst. What does that do? There's a lot. Yeah. And with all of that, was there a factor, a statistic that really stood out to you that, that really cuts through to people in terms of how devastating the impact of um, those um, events are in people's lives? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, in, in some ways, I think that the striking one is if, if you look at the statistics uh, among people who are in the service provider industry, whether you're in social work or education or law enforcement or juvenile justice or, you know, pediatrician, people that work in generally in the world of trying to um, help kids grow up uh, healthy and sound, um, 
their ACE scores, meaning you know, how much, how what, how well problematic their childhood was, um, the t statistics among that population um, hovers around 30 to 35 percent. Um, so the very people that we hope will take good care of our children at risk are having to manage their own difficult histories. And that's an important thing. I think, you know, understand, and we can talk about that, you know, just for teachers, just how often you're asking a teacher to overcome their own triggers and their own histories um, in the face of, of problematic behavior for difficult kids. Uh, and it's, it's hard to do. So I think that that statistic is, is really important because it's not just about the children, it's about everybody. Yeah, and there's some pretty couple of really moving stories in Paper Tigers, particularly of um, teachers talking about that. And um, I just wondered, like, was there a story or, or anecdote that you didn't include in the movie that people would be interested in um, from your work in trying to make the movie, James? Well, you know, I think uh, I would say I've, I've always you know, you have, you have a conscience as a documentary filmmaker, sometimes you have to make a choice between what would be um, most striking or engaging as film content alone uh, versus um, what it might do to share moments or scenes with, with the public. Does the person, does the subject you're working with really comprehend the ramifications of sharing certain things or revealing certain things? And sometimes you have to make a call as to whether or not is this for the greater good or is this unnecessary? Is this going to potentially inflict more damage? Um, and you know, particularly in Paper Tigers, uh, there, there, you know, there was a we were interacting with a student and a mother, and the the, the situation in their lives was was so it spun so out of control. She had what we refer to as a, as a score of ten aces, which is you know, by the ACEs terminology, which is just one way to deal with it. Um, she probably had every, you know, stressful, traumatic experience one could have as a child. And her, her son was growing up with a similar profile. And this is something you see, generational uh, trauma being passed down. Um, and, you know, to sort of tell their story, um, I was convinced that in the long run, it might create more havoc in their lives in the long term than than really serve the film in the short term. So it didn't include that story. There are other times where, you know, I had a, I, I, one of the things I did with the film is, is told all the teenagers in Paper Tigers that I would screen the, the final cut before it was locked with them. And that I, one of the ways I, I think I gained their trust, I said, you know, I'll show you the film and if something upsets you and you don't want it in, um, I'll take it out because you're minors and you, it, you're still growing up. You don't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a transitional period in terms of how you see life and how you see yourself and how you want to be remembered. So, you know, one, one of the young ladies told a really, really powerful story um, about abuse in her life. And she came in and said, you know, if you include the story, uh, I'm afraid for my life. But I didn't include it. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's hard because you have to sort of, at the same time, you have to realize, you know, we're not talking about everyday uh, emotional dramas or injuries that happen to all of us. Um, so many people are experiencing things that are harrowing and, and, and suppressed and we're not comfortable talking about them. Mm. It's hard to draw that line between, um, you know, what's best for all versus protecting the subjects. 
Yeah, that's such a tricky one. And uh, we've spoken to a lot of teachers who've had young people come and tell them about circumstances in their life. And, and it's, I think you can go both ways, can't you? You can either just completely not talk about it at all and, and because you just, you know, you can't handle some of the material and you just want to not make it worse for the young person or you, um, you know, you don't know what to do with it. So you sort of, without sufficient permission i guess um start acting on that material which is um not helpful either yeah it takes, it takes real professional training and, and mm. understanding yeah i was thinking about the story about um the mother and the daughter and how it's intergenerational and and i've uh, we've sort of heard whispers of this in meetings and, and other charities where there's a sense of kind of helplessness about how these things cascade through families and, and, and teachers often, you know, especially when you've put in the hard yards and things are not working, they, they, you can slip into the sense of, you know, maybe nothing really helps this family or this child. What is your sense of that? I mean, clearly Paper Tigers was a hopeful kind of story in many ways. What was your sense of, um, how people can think about that for these young people? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, because you don't want to just, um, you know, paint an, an overly optimistic picture. You hmm. make it, you know, the, um, and what happened in Paper Tigers at that point in time when the film ended, graduate, um, that was the truth. It was, it was a remarkable accomplishment for all of them. Um, that didn't mean they all went on to have, you know, easy and, and carefree lives. They continue to wrestle with their histories. I mean, they're all, you know, the kids that were featured in Paper Tigers, um, in the scheme of things, are doing really well. And when I say that, I mean, you know, they're not, um, nobody's died from opioid abuse. Nobody has ended up in jail. Everybody's working at some level. Sometimes I feel like, you know, the expectations um, are, are too high. And sometimes I think, you know, it's funny because there used to be this thing where there was vocational training. And then we decided, well, that's vocational training is sort of not giving, is the idea that, um, you know, deciding to, at too early of an age that uh, your future is limited to um, this vocation or not going to college. But at the same time, you know, I think more important than anything for kids in terms of their survival and just leading lives in which they can have happy lives and have loving and stable relationships with people because it all has to go from there in my opinion i mean you, the, your chances of being able to hold a stable job um lead a productive life um if you manage to somehow get support to get through high school get support through college but you haven't figured out how to how to sort of be in this world in a productive way emotionally socially um you, you, you know, the, the degree isn't going to get you anywhere you have to have that ability to sort of move through life making reasonably good decisions and being able to have healthy relationships with other people. So, you know, my feeling about um, teachers is that sometimes I feel like, you know, um, I don't think they should inflate grades, but I also don't, I also feel like it's okay to say, you know, given what this kid, his history, and given everything he's been through, um, the fact that he's here at school at all and managing to pull off a C, um, I shouldn't make him feel bad about that. I should be a little bit more tolerant of his performance because, you know, up against other profiles of kids, that scene may be more impressive than an A. We just don't look underneath the surface. We see the tip of the iceberg and the kid falling asleep in class 
turning in late work, maybe it's shoddily done, but you're not realizing that in the middle of the night, the police came by to arrest his dad for beating up on his mom. And he hasn't had a good meal in three days. And that shrimp that he's supposed to go to across town, he doesn't know how to get there. He doesn't have health insurance. You know, it's overwhelming. So, you know, for teachers in general, I mean, there is hope. I think you just have to sort of just aim at, at the most important realistic things and, and, and keep it simple. You know, and also self-care. I think teachers in the States, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but teachers in the States are, seem to be expected to solve all of society's ills in the classroom these days. And so, you know, you have to um, be very mindful of how much you're trying to tackle. I mean, some, as, you, as you know from Paper Tigers, that was something that the teachers really struggled with. How do, we, how do we sustain ourselves over the long term and not go so deep in and just get emotionally burned out? And that's about what you do outside of the classroom and how you manage your own stress and keep things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there is a price to often pay, isn't there? That uh, when you are kind of working with um, kids like this, that it, uh, you, you somehow bear witness to a lot of their kind of struggles, which does kind of change the way you think about yourself or your work or whatever it is. So that that was really nicely discussed in the movie. So I really encourage people to take a look at that. Um, I was really interested um, in your sort of storytelling process, uh, just as someone who talks about trauma uh, all day, every day. Um, I, I was curious about how you um, structured some of the material to um, kind of help, you know, tell a good story, but also help people feel as though they can take action on some of the um, content you're presenting to them. Hmm. Well, um, as you as you notice, there, there are two movies. One is Paper Tigers, yep. and one is Resilience. And, and Paper Tigers is a more of a traditional documentary. Although the way we we wove in um, scientific research may not have been typical verite, um, but we felt that was important. But by and large, you know, having the kids participate with me, create their own footage, be their own filmmakers in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, follow them for a year, just see what happened. It's a commitment um, just to see what happens. We didn't, we didn't know how things were going to go and where, where things would go. The movie was going to be what it was. And I think, you know, particularly when it comes to teenagers, I think, I think that was the right approach. Um, but there's a whole other aspect of this in which, you know, an argumentative essay is, is what's needed, you know, to help, to help at the sort of public policy level, to help at the community level, to get... Um, people out of their silos and, and trying to understand that this is a new vocabulary, that whether you're a judge or a police officer, an educator, a pediatrician, that if you're all, if you're all operating from the same uh, base of knowledge about this stuff, that then you, you will work better together because you'll, you know, there's, there's the right thing to do. If you're trauma-informed, um, you know, look at it. Like if you're a trauma-informed pediatrician, you don't just stop at the stomach ache. You know, if you can't figure it out, you say, well, maybe it's stress. If you're a teacher, you might say, well, where were you last night? Did you get any sleep? Or if you're a judge, you might want to know the history before an impulsive or bad decision caught up with a kid. Or, you know, a policeman might not want to re-traumatize. You know, it's just, it's, so that's what resilience is for. And, um, you know, I, as, on a deeper level, I think, you know, I've, I found over time, I, I don't know, I'm going on my eighth or ninth documentary now. And sometimes it's important to, to um, ring the alarm bell. Sometimes what you do, you need to like light, stick a dynamite and just drop it and get everybody to tip. But then sometimes I feel like uh, 
you really ought to offer solutions. Um, if don't upset people when there are solutions to be had. Mm-hmm. And weaving solutions into the movie, both of them in a way, um, is really hard. I mean, the films would be a lot easier if you just let it rip on the negative, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're primal, we're fear-based. We, that, uh, the quickest way our brain responds is fear for a survival. And so that's a very easy way to engage the audience. So, you know, shaping uh, resilience in these little mini chapters um, was all about trying to build a sense that this is very important, but it's not dire. Mm-hmm. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, I really liked what you said about, um, you know, not just feeding off of the fear and the concern or whatever. It's not just about the headlines, but actually giving people something meaningful to take away from the film, um, which which is something we try to do in the training to keep things really practical. So even if there's one thing that they can walk away from, they don't drown and kind of feeling helpless about it all. They can kind of act on it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I was curious if you had any more thoughts about this piece about teacher burnout. Um, so part of what we're kind of going through here in Australia, it's very similar to um, it sounds like to what's happening there in the United States. Is teachers feel this overwhelming burden of increasing number of things that they sort of have to do. Um, so it's about us integrating it into whatever kind of practice that's prevailing there, but keeping it trauma informed. Um, in terms of quite practical things, what what did you notice through the making of the documentary that actually helped sort of in school between the staff or even outside of work that uh, helped for these teachers too? Um, I, I feel that um, a holistic approach, you know, education, well, first of all, you know, the, the stress is neurotoxic. So um, for kids, it's insidious, but and you know, you walk into a class, like I, in, in, in resilience, you may remember there was a little section where I visited a, a, like a first, second grade class, six, seven year old kids. Nobody around having a good time. And you know, you walk into that room at first glance, you say, hey, bunch of kids having fun. What's the problem? But what's going on in their lives is insidious. And I'll, it might not present immediately in stark ways, but, but as, but on an ongoing basis as they mature and then as their bodies change during, hormonal development, so many things begin to happen. And, um, you know, that sort of, you know, understanding that um, for, for, for teachers, I think, you know, you have this, you have to think about, the core is, is that unless these kids are more healthy, whether it's neurologically or physically, it's going to be really hard for teachers to teach. So if you really want to get, if you're in an at-risk population where a lot of stuff's going on, the idea of providing total care in a school environment is really powerful and I think it makes it a lot easier for the kids. For instance, having a health center that's woven into the school, um, maybe that seems excessive or exorbitant, but what it does is, is then you have professionals on site um, who are trained to deal with these issues and when a kid is having trouble in a classroom, it's not just a punitive moment where they get kicked out or suspended. They often get referred to psychological counseling on the spot mm. to help escalate. Or they go in and they and they talk to a doctor, and the doctor says you haven't had a, a, a regular meal in two weeks. You're like walking around radically impaired. We need to get you fed. That aspect of it, expecting the teachers to do all of that, is, is not realistic. And and so, 
it's not about giving the teachers more to do. It's giving about creating a more supportive environment for them. Because in the end, they're educators. If they wanted to be pediatricians or social workers or psychologists, they would have gone a different way in their lives. You know? And, and as, as an example for anyone that's interested, if you want to look at a really interesting program in New York right now, there's an organization called The Door that provides assistance to kids who are struggling. Um, and they recently um, merged with the school. And the school and this organization are now housed under the same roof. And I think it's, it's an extension and an evolution of the kinds of things that we saw at Lincoln High School and Paper Tigers. So. Sorry, Jim, was that the door, did you say? The yes, the door. Yeah. The door. Yeah, the door. Uh, the door or something like that. You, you, you can Google it. Yeah, we'll put up a link for Manhattan, it. Right in the, you know, kids in, the, in ground zero, difficult mm. situation. I think that was what was striking in Paper Tigers was this idea of how integrated those approaches were that, you know, you had people working together to help the kids. And I think sometimes, I don't know what it's like there, but we work in our little silos, you know, healthcare and education and all that. And because we're not talking to each other about things, it, it can feel really broken. And that there's sort of gaps in how we help kids and families, I think, for which I think the kids pay the greatest price a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably that's the significant thing that I would hope would happen as a result of the emergence of toxic stress and the awareness of adverse childhood experiences and trauma and how it affects kids is that it, it, the most important thing to me is to create a, uh, a more comprehensive, holistic environment to deal with these issues. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I was checking in to see what you were currently curious about in your work and if it had anything to do with trauma or um, what you were working on next. Well, you know, um, for my documentary work tend to fall in one direction or another. They're all environmental in a way because there's, because these are environmental issues what, what are happening in people's lives. But I also do a lot of work on the, in the traditional environmental landscape. And I have a film coming out on HBO at the end of uh, December called Happening, a Clean Energy Revolution. And I spent three years um, struggling to understand clean energy and why it was ramping up so quickly and what it means for our future, which is largely positive. Talk about another solutions-based film. This is a, a humdinger in that regard. And even though there were some really difficult times in terms of watching the political process get in the way, ultimately it's happening. And that's why I named the film that. So, and then as for, you know, Karen Pritzker and I, my partner, Kate Pritzker, who made these films together, um, it's important to say, um, we are now really uh, looking deeply at where we go next, but we're not quite sure. But, you know, for the most part, we're really interested in trying to make things better for kids. And I'm sure we'll stay in that terrain. Yeah, that's great. Um, was there any last messages or thoughts you had for the educators or people listening, James, to the podcast? Oh, just, uh, you know, uh, I think people dealing with teenagers in the classroom it's not personal. It's not personal. And think of it as a symptom rather than an insult. You can. It's hard to do, but it makes such a difference. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners are grateful for this interview, but also for your work on the two films. It's made an enormous difference in people getting interested in it. Uh, there will be some local screenings of the film, so we'll keep, we'll keep you in the loop about that. And if you're ever down our way, we would love to hear of 
you doing screenings or talks or whatever it is. So thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, James. Take care. That was our interview with James Redford. Thank you to James for sharing his insights from his groundbreaking films, Paper Tigers and Resilience. To access the information and links discussed in the interview, check out the show notes at www.tipbs.com. If you are enjoying listening to the show, please go to iTunes to rate and review it. Your ratings make all the difference. Thank you for listening. See you next time.